Hey there, welcome to Takeaway with Sam Okus, a podcast from Nations Restaurant News. I am Sam Okus, Editor-in-Chief here at NRN, and this is the show where I give you an all-access pass to the restaurant industry's most influential decision makers. Today, I'm joining you from NRN headquarters in New York City, where our team is busy planning for what is sure to be an exciting 2024. On this episode, I'm talking with Ryan McCartan. He is the CEO of the drive through only soda fountain brand, Swig. This Utah-based concept has 59 locations in seven states and hundreds more in the pipeline, and it is preparing to conquer the U.S. as essentially a category of one. That's right, Swig is built around a core product, sodas blended with creams, purees, and other ingredients, uh, plus water and energy beverages, that it's really in a league of its own at a multi-unit level. Ryan joined the podcast to talk about how the brand plans to capitalize on essentially an infinite runway and how it manages to do the unthinkable work with both of the soda titans, Coca-Cola and Pepsi. In this conversation, you will learn more about how you can be highly technical and highly personable at the same time, why scarcity marketing can be a successful growth strategy, and how by tapping into customers' emotional relationship to products, you build trust and show those customers that you're listening to them. Jumping now into my interview with Swig CEO, Ryan McCartan. Also, don't forget to stick around after the interview as I will share my five takeaways from this discussion, actionable insights that you can take with you on the go. Okay, I'm here with Ryan McCartan, the CEO of Swig. Ryan, thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Sam. All right, so we're going to get into all of the fun things about Swig, and I really mean that as fun because this is a fun brand. I mean, this this brand is unlike anything the industry has seen before or currently, and um, you guys are blazing this incredible trail, and it's going very, very well for you. But you are fairly new to Swig, and so I want to start with you and the opportunity with Swig. Um, you know, you're less than a year still, right? Or is it about a year that you've been with? No, for, 14 months, actually. <laughs> but uh, in, in Swig years, you know, that's like 14 years. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You feel like a veteran. So you've that's been right. here for about a year. What was your impression when you came into this brand? You were recruited to lead this sort of next phase of growth. What was your impression kind of from the outside looking in? You know, I'd never really seen or heard of custom soda uh, or, or custom beverages and the likes of soda before. So um, really digging into the category itself um, just created an immense amount of excitement around the white space that was available to Swig. And coming from, you know, both emerging brands and, and startup brands, but also very well-established mm-hmm. brands in my career, it was very unique in the respect that it was so new and fresh and really just had runway for days. Uh, that's what really got me excited about about that. And then, you know, I think um, the cult-like following and, and the uh, consumer sentiment around Swig, both from, you know, the team and the, and the customer standpoint, um, really was just so unique. And uh, we've continued to kind of carry that uh, forward as we've grown this year. But those were the leading attractors uh, for me. Sure. So, so you take leadership of this brand. What was the mandate that you had from leadership uh, for what they wanted you to be able to accomplish with this brand? Yeah, you know, I think um, anytime you're going to scale, uh, you know, emerging brands going from 20 to 200 or 50 to 500, which has kind of been my specialty in my career, I think um, it's easy to lose your way and, and lose authenticity. And I think, you know, coming into Swig, kind of the non-negotiable was we we know who we are, we know where we've come from, 
Um, it's a 13-year-old organization. And I think people still call us a startup or an emerging brand. And really, we've been around for longer than a decade. And keeping the secret sauce or the, or the you know, the, the, the recipe of, of Swig's culture and um, service levels alive uh, is really the bloodline of, of the brand. And what Nicole and Chase and Dylan and, and the Savory team have, have created over the course of the last decade um, is, you know, makes my job so much more fun and easier uh, coming into a foundation that is essentially built and really just ready for scale. So, um, you know, small tweaks to support the business to go from, you know, 50 to 500, turning on additional sales channels, but really uh, ensuring that we're, we're looking back and remembering where we came from and our roots and, and keeping the swig blood bloodline, you know, pure. Yeah. Well, and I guess to take a step back, you know, because I think of Swig, of course, primarily uh, Western presence in the Western states coming out of Utah originally. Um, for those sure. of us on the East Coast, I, I have not had the pleasure of having a Swig experience. And I, I'm guessing a lot of people who are listening, same thing. Yeah. So just so to take a step back, tell us about sort of the DNA of this concept. And, and what is it that makes this brand so unique? What are those components? Sure. Yeah. And, and just um, to to also kind of emphasize my own background, I'm from the West Coast. So um, this was definitely an inner mountain, you know, Rocky Mountain uh, concept that, you know, growing up in the Pacific Northwest, not drinking a lot of soda and then in, into, you know, Northern California and Southern California, where it was more about, you know, juices and coffee. Uh, it was a new concept, fairly new concept to myself as well. Uh, you know, we, we we really have expanded the assortment over the years to encompass so much more than soda, but at our roots, you know, we take your favorite soda, we combine it with, uh, you know, fresh purees, syrups, um, fresh fruit. And uh, I think, you know, really taking kind of a coffee concept or a tea concept and bringing it to America's, you know, traditional soda, um, Coke, Pepsi, Dr. Pepper, Mountain Dew, um, and then we also offer, you know, our Reviver, uh, which is our own white labeled uh, energy drink, uh, which has been extremely successful since we launched it a couple of years ago. And then we have more healthy, you know, sugar free um, offerings as well, water based um, drinks. I think that was one of the bigger misconceptions with some of our some of the press we've had and some of our first you know, customers initial responses were very sugary, you know, sweets driven concept and organization where. Um, we actually do quite a bit of business as in our refreshers, um, which are water-based uh, mm. drinks. You know, I have two kids. Don't always want them hopped up on you know caffeine and sugar at, at nine, ten in the morning. Um, and I think that's really where we offer something for a pretty broad range of of consumers. You know, we introduced the mini cookie about a year and a half ago. Went pretty viral. Uh, took you know your traditional cookie and basically made it smaller. Um, and then that really uh, blossomed into our, our LTO business that we have today. And we've, we've launched, I think, 18 different, um, you know, mini cookie or, or standard cookie sizes over the course of the last year and a half. And that has really allowed our customers to get a, a deeper sense for, for Swig as a creative brand um, and allows us to, to have fun and, and bring out seasonal items that, you know, spark joy and new flavors and, and ingredients that are maybe a little, uh, you know, not, not something you see every day on, on the market. Yeah, sure. Well, and, and also operationally speaking, you guys primarily focus on drive through only locations. Is that right? Yes, no, that's a hundred percent correct. I mean, we have, we just opened our 59th store, uh, let's see Saturday, 
and uh, we opened two in two in one day. So uh, Nampa, Idaho, and then uh, Centerville, Utah. So fifty eight and fifty nine. All fifty nine of our locations are drive through, and every franchise store uh, that are coming online now and into the future will be will be drive through. Um, we've really we we have tested that that model. Um, we have I, I shouldn't say all. We have one in line um, in a grocery store uh, that kicks off you know decent sales, but in, in the grand scheme of our um, con, you know our swig drive through culture is the drive through. I mean we don't. We've leaned into tech and AI and, and really, you know, like many brands, try to bring efficiencies to our, our operations. But at the end of the day, we're, we're a, a community-based organization. We are a person-to-person organization. So I don't see a world anytime soon where we'll remove that human interaction from the lines. And um, contrary to what many people think, I mean, we you know, our C-suite, including our founder, Nicole, I mean, we come to every single opening. We still take drink orders in the line in the snow. Um, that was this past weekend in Utah and in Idaho. You know, part of that is um, who we are as, as Swig. And ultimately, that customer-facing interaction is is what built the company to what it is today. Sure. So thinking about this as a you know, beverage-forward uh, concept. This is drive-through only. So if if I'm putting these ingredients together, uh, you know, I'm thinking you must do great business in, in sort of in-between day parts. You must do great snack business. I mean, I imagine you must do a great morning business, people coming for caffeine. But but what is that sort of sweet spot? You know, no pun intended, but what what is that what is that yeah. you know you're aiming for? What who's your core demographic? Sure. I mean, we're fortunate enough. We, we kind of capture a unique um, consumer base in the younger to, I would say, you know, 16 to 45 year old female, it's typically a mom. Uh, and that translates into a pretty robust business between the hours of 2.30 in the afternoon and 4 in the afternoon. Typically, you know, uh, folks getting off of work, picking kids up from school, going to soccer practice or yoga. Um, we definitely serve you know, many a suburban full of kids and dogs and, and, um, but that's not to say, you know, we're, we're not, uh, a family brand. I mean, we have a very diverse customer base. We've been able to prove concept, you know, far outside of, of Utah where we started. Um, we're now in seven states, uh, and actually our highest performing locations are in Arizona, um, and of all places, Rogers, Arkansas. Hmm. Uh, so I think, you know, we have, um, since kind of proven that this is not just a, a inner mountain Salt Lake city, um, you know, experience. And we've now replicated that, you know, along the Southwest, you know, I, I do think there's something to say about opening stores in warmer weather and warmer climates. We definitely see trend trends adjust with seasonality, but you know, we're talking single, single digit, uh, nothing dramatic. And, uh, and you'll see as we start to open uh, more and more of the, initial 500 franchise stores, um, most of those will be in the Sun Belt, in the Southeast, and in warmer climates. Gotcha. Well, I mean, yeah, when you think about this concept, the opportunity seems limitless because you think everybody drinks beverages. Uh, Soda is a near universal beverage, uh, and there is nothing like it. Um, I mean, there's really nothing that is out there allowing you to customize your soda beverages or anything like that. Uh, But then you combine that with this 
I imagine it's a lot easier to find sites to plop your restaurant in because your space requirements aren't so <laughs> difficult, right? I mean, this seems like yeah. the opportunity could be limitless for you. You know, you would think that. I think, you know, COVID, COVID really changed the business in so many ways. And where, where drive-through restaurants pre-2020 were probably not a thing of the past, but not the most attractive commercial real estate in the F&B industry, right? And it really was um, secured for fast food and, and far less fast casual. Um, and, you know, with, with the onset of COVID, everybody's entering into the drive-through world now. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether it is uh, beverage or, or food, you know, I, I would say that um, supply is far more constrained uh, on, on commercial real estate today in drive-throughs than it was three years ago. That being said, the beautiful thing about Swig, and you hit it on the on the head, is we can fit on a postage stamp of land. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, you know, ha- we are are pretty opportunistic when it comes to um, finding sites. We do a lot of our own preferred development, and being able to put a 650, 700 square foot Swig on a on a third of an acre is pretty tough for um, anybody else to do. And um, I don't know if you, you know, I'm sure you have Sam seen our lines, but um, when we open and ongoing, you know, our, our lines are sometimes 60, 80, 100 cars deep and, and then ongoing, you know, 20, 30 on average. So these these parcels still have to support great stacking, um, strong, you know, strong throughput. And uh, it gets tricky, but we've we've been able to fill a pretty robust pipeline for the next several years. And, uh, you know, landlords and developers love us. We bring a we bring that kind of unique demographic to their centers that. A lot of their other concepts, whether it's retail or F&B, don't offer. And um, now that we've been doing a lot of our own preferred development in the last year, we've we've proven out, you know, that we can be on third of an acre parcels or we can take 1,800 square foot in caps uh, kind of across the country. Sure. Yeah. Well, and, and by the way, I do encourage anybody listening to go follow you on Instagram, follow the brand on Instagram to see those lines you mentioned. You guys tend to get like this great, like drone footage of the lines wrapping around the block. It's it's really incredible to yeah. see. Um, although it might make you jealous if you're a fellow restaurant operator. Uh, so I imagine you must be competing with a lot of these coffee concepts for locations. Cause I mean, w- w- what Swig's rise really makes me think of is this Dutch bros and scooters yeah. and seven brews and you know these drive through only coffee concepts but simultaneously you guys aren't really truly competitors right because you guys offer a different kind of be- beverage experience yeah you know i'm i'm a big believer too that the rising tide lifts all ships i i grew up in the willamette valley in in oregon and um my parents have a ranch in in southern oregon in, in grants pass where you know uh, uh dutch brothers w- was born i've been going to dutch brothers my entire life very loyal customer and, and I root those guys on and, and that leadership team is, is exceptional. You know, I think, um, my philosophy has always been with our team and, and, and in our strategy is, um, you know, do, do a few things very, very well and set yourself apart. We don't look behind our shoulder too, too frequently. I know there's, you know, there's been some recent concepts that have, um, popped up and, and tests that are really, um, we're going to be watching closely and to understand, you know, if soda, becomes a, a larger section of folks menu. Um, I, I've seen it with seven brews. We, you know, we see Dutch um, entering in into certain respects of that, but you know, we, we've tried coffee. Um, it was pre my time. I love that we, we don't serve coffee. I think it, it allows us to stay really focused and stay incredibly true to who we are, our customer um, and do that exceptionally well. We 
don't have a massive menu. We don't, um, you know, we make it seamless and easy for you to order and, and the experience very fun uh, and enjoyable. And I think that the simplicity of our model um, blended with, you know, the excitement of, of new LTOs on a pretty regular basis um, allows the brand to, to just hum along quite, quite nicely. Um, you know, that, and we, we do believe that you can have too much of something. Um, and, you know, our, our marketing strategy is, is uh, pretty rooted in, in scarcity marketing. Mm-hmm. We like to be special. Um, we don't foresee us having a swig, you know, in a, in a one mile radius of another swig, kind of like the Starbucks model. Um, and we're very tactical about where we go, um, how we enter into a market and, and who our consumer is. Do I think Swig will be coast to coast with thousands of units in, in the next um, five to 10 years without a doubt? Uh, but I think we also know, um, again, where we came from and who we're serving and, and we're, you know, we're not for everybody. And I think staying really true to that is important to the authenticity of Swig. Sure, absolutely. Uh, all right, so I want to get into something that has kind of nagged at me ever since I learned about Swig, um, which is you have both Coke and Pepsi. And, uh, you know, you don't have to share yeah. your secrets, um, but, you know. It's not easy. <laughs> yeah, right. Now, but, you know, <laughs> what, I, what I bring up, though, is, of course, in the soda world, I mean, Coca-Cola and PepsiCo, two giants in soda, um, so first off, you're dealing with, with both those companies, which is very unique. Um, but the second thing, I, you know, related to this is when it comes to innovation, specifically in your dirty sodas, um, you know, that's working with a retail product as a foundation. And so it's, it's, that's different than most restaurant and beverage concepts, which are starting from scratch. You guys are kind of working off a foundation of an, a, an existing product. So I'm curious as to what yes. innovation looks like that and, and whether or not you guys involve those companies in this innovation process. Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, I would just look at the amount of um, seasonal flavors that Coke, Pepsi put out, specifically in their Mountain Dew category. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that answers a lot of um, where the business is growing categorically with those two organizations. And um, we, you know, our LTOs, whether it's it's soda based or or reviver based, um, are really uh, based around quality and um, consumer sentiment. So we have a lot of consumer testing. We do testing internally quite a bit. Our R and D team, you know, is an exceptional, uh, uh, group of folks that are constantly trying to bring unique items to market. Uh, you know, honestly, some of our LTOs have been since, uh, white labeled and, and put into, you know, Coke and Pepsi (laughs) branded cans and bottles. And, you know, and honestly, we look at that as flattering. Um, Coke and Pepsi have been tremendous partners for years. We are one of the very, very few that put them side by side. Um, you know, our, our ability to get pretty strong economies with both of those businesses based on our throughput lends us to, um, lean on them when, um, whether it's for, for data on, soda consumption and expanding nationally or um, flavor sentiment um, that the, their own testing that they do, they, they've been incredible um, from a, a data science standpoint. And, and likewise, we, we, uh, we want to encourage healthy partnerships with them without, you know, Dr. Pepper, Pepsi, Coke. It's this business looks a lot different. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, 
is there ever a time when a, a Coke or, or Mountain Dew based drink or a Pepsi based drink is, is no longer the 50 or, or greater percent based, you know, on, on our menu? I'm not quite sure. I mean, we, we see Reviver growing exponentially, you know, quarter over quarter. Um, it's one of the largest categories in, in Dutch Brothers um, assortment, you know, their, their energy drink. And then, you know, I do think um, as we expand into markets beyond the Southeast and um, Intermountain West, I do think flavor profiles change. I, you know, am from the West Coast. I can tell you, um, you know, Pepsi is, is the predominant uh, cola of choice um, on the West Coast in most cases, um, where Coke, you know, is the Southeast. And there are these swings in, in providers where when you go into different locations and um, we also foresee, it was like when we went into Texas, I mean, our Dr. Pepper shot up you know, like <laughs> fivefold and we had a strong Dr. Pepper business before, but the folks in Texas love their Dr. Pepper. Uh, so I think we've learned a lot. We'll continue to learn a lot. Um, we have no anticipation of, you know, consolidating our, our um, soda vendors or partnerships into one. They have been great folks to work with and we'll continue to, to thrive together. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fascinating how soda is such a, a cultural flashpoint. I mean, I'm, I'm from the Midwest. And so I, of, of course, grew up calling it pop. You know, I moved to the South. I oh, started yeah. calling it soda. I know there are parts of the country you go and they just call it Coke, no matter what it is. Yeah. I mean, sure. people have opinions on it. Right. But I have to imagine too, you mentioned, you know, that's flattering uh, uh, on, you know, your flavors ending up in their cans, but I have to imagine it's the reverse too, where, I mean, what you guys are doing is also paving the way to what could potentially be a new era for soda. I mean, I'm speaking for myself. I'm, I'm not a big soda drinker anymore. Um, you know, if I do, maybe a Diet Coke here and there. Um, but in general, when I was a teenager, I drank too much of it. And so then I just had to get healthy and, and not drink, you know, too much of it. Um, but, and again, I don't have a swig within, I think, 500 miles of me. But I'm, I would bet, bet you anything if there was one, I would seek it out because I also know that, you know, that afternoon indulgence is something I do crave. And I, so I guess the, the point of that is to say you, you are a novelty in the best possible way, not in a negative, you know, connotation of that word. And it's so new that the soda companies must be excited about what you guys are doing, right? Yeah, you know, I think um, when I look at Swig or I look at soda in general, I look at it as less as a novelty and more as, you know, People will always want a beverage. You know, we had the big cupcake craze, you know, a decade ago. Cupcakes went up and down. Cookies are on, you know, the rise, as you know, and, and are probably going to level out at some point. Those, in, in times of economic, you know, whether it's headwinds or, or tailwinds, those stay, you know, fairly relative to what the market is is demanding. You know, at the end of the day, you need you need to drink liquid, uh, whether it's uh, soda-based liquid, whether it is water or Reviver or wine or what have you. Um, I think that um, the uniqueness of the Starbucks and the Dutch Brothers and the Swigs of the world are, is really that, you know, we're, we're a beverage company and our beverage assortment will continue to evolve. I don't think it will always be soda, but I agree. I think this is a, um, this is a, a unique time for soda. I, I grew up drinking Shasta in the Pacific Northwest and, uh, you know, you, you don't see that too often anymore. And, uh, you know, I think that in a, in a, in a time where, um, you know, we, we really 
capture this very young audience, right? This kind of 16 to 22 TikTok, Instagram, um, very committed younger female. And to see the younger generation, um, you know, really kick in with custom beverages, whether even if it is, you know, people making their own mixed coffee or dirty sodas at home, which there's a whole craze to follow on TikTok if, if you're interested, um, you know, is really is really telling to see what kind of the next generation uh, will bring. I think it, frankly, I think it skipped my generation a little bit, uh, you know, and I think it's making a, a pretty strong uh, uh, revival uh, back. So, you know, I think Pepsi and Coke will always be fundamental brands and, and heritage brands uh, in the United States and, and globally, Coke's not going anywhere. Pepsi's not going anywhere. And I think, you know, the, the magic of Swig is taking these iconic brands and these iconic flavors and making them unique, making them relevant again, making them, um, you know, sugar-free, caffeine-free, um, and adding, you know, cream, adding flavors, adding fresh fruit. It's really, you know, you lose the Coke sometimes. You lose right. the Dr. Pepper when you, when you have a Swig. So, um, it's, it's definitely unique. And I think there's, again, a lot of white space left. All right. So considering all of that, you know, as you guys grow, you are moving into these new markets, into these new territories. Um, what does that look like when you enter a new market, when you enter Arkansas and, you know, they're used to Coke and Pepsi, you know, at the typical chain restaurants, and here is this new thing. What, 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 is, what does Swig do to try to really plant roots in a community and educate the local customers? Here is exactly what we are here to accomplish for you. Here's what we can be for you. That's a really good question. You know, entering new markets is always challenging, um, but it's exciting to introduce Swig, um, you know, our unique offerings to new communities. Uh, we leverage a mix of local and digital marketing strategies to build brand awareness uh, that includes, you know, we engage with local schools, um, hospitals, churches, different community partnerships, um, and pretty heavy on, on social media campaigns, whether it be, you know, TikTok or Instagram or, or Facebook. Um, but we also really emphasize the unique experience of SWIG. The fact of the matter is, is you can go to a local grocery store, buy a bottle of Coke, buy some vanilla creamer and some Tarani syrup, and you can make a dirty soda. Uh, but what makes Swig different is, um, is the Swig experience. It's the, it's the minute and a half to two minutes in line. It's the conversation with our, you know, our Swigsters uh, in, in the store. It's, um, it's the branding. It's the, the cup. Um, it's the styrofoam cup. You know, I think there are aspects to the Swig um, experience that is, are, are just unique to really only us. Uh, operationally, when we go into an, uh, a new market, we're, we're very acute in our real estate development strategy, and, and we really like to follow a hub-and-spoke model um, when entering into any new geo. Uh, so adding a minimum of three locations to any one territory is, is pretty critical to us. It allows us to build a deeper, stronger bench, um, supports growth, and um, kind of creates that sales halo effect um, to the surrounding locations. We've seen this in every state that we've we've gone into, and um, I think, you know, we're, without giving away too much, we're, we're very fortunate to have a very um, robust and uh, highly, highly intelligent marketing team that I envy. Um, and our, our CMO, Dylan, is, he's a magician. Um, <laughs> he walks the, uh, the imagination. But, um, 
you know, we, we definitely do a lot of pre-work going into a new market. And then prior to a soft opening, um, we, we do quite a bit of, of social media push and, um, our CPAs are, are very low. If I told you, you wouldn't believe me. So I'm not even going to share it with you. Uh, but, uh, you know, we just have this, this cult like following. We understand the, our, our consumer. We do a lot of, um, uh, our customer profile matches, you know, in different territories. And, uh, when we turn, turn on new locations, um, we have a pretty, we have a pretty high success rate. And, uh, like I said, if you see those lines, uh, Rogers, Arkansas, though, I will tell you, when we opened that, nobody was expecting that to be the number one in the chain. Um, I had never been to Rogers or actually anywhere in Arkansas, uh, one of the few states in, in the system I've yet to visit. And um, that has just continued to, to blow our minds. So sometimes we're pleasantly surprised, frankly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, the hub and spoke aspect is really critical to uh, the operational side and the talent side of, of building Swig. Well, I imagine too, I mean, I, I think about again, soda, going back to kind of what we were talking about earlier. I mean, there's such a, um, I feel like you must have to appeal to the emotion so much, right? Because soda is such an emotional thing for people. It's such a nostalgic product um, that a lot of what you must do to connect with customers is is to appeal to that emotional component, right? I mean, you know, as we speak, I, j- I just watched the latest episode of Saturday Night Live. And, and even that there was a skit uh, where they were making fun of uh, this um, co-branded Olay and Dr. Pepper um, cream <laughs> yeah. or, or I'm sorry, Diet Coke cream. And I mean, you know, it's hilarious to think about because... Because it's like, of course, it's playing with that sort of cliche of, well, let's face it, white sure. women and Diet Coke, right? But, but you know, <laughs> it's it's such a, again, sort of an emotional relationship people have with their preferred soda. So I, all of that to ask, yeah. you know, how do you in these introductions to markets, in your marketing, connect to that emotional part? Yeah. Honestly, it, it, a lot of it goes back to our relationship with Coke and Pepsi. So we get the consumption data. We understand where, you know, certain sodas in our assortment you know over and under index across the country i would also say you know we're open-minded to we always try to save 20 you know 15 to 20 percent of our menu for for localization um so when we went into texas we we were not selling tea by any stretch of the imagination we were not going to be a tea company we went into texas and we were quickly notified that we should be selling tea. Um, you know, our customers were very vocal that they wanted some level of sweet tea and, and non-sweet tea. And, um, you know, tea is sub sub 1% of our business, but now we have tea in Texas and we make sure that it's there. So, uh, you know, there are exceptions to, to certain things that we do in, in, in geographies that have a, an intimate connection with a, a certain soda or a certain base beverage. Um, that we'll put on the menu. And, you know, I think we're, as we're, we're growing, we're finding more and more reasons and, um, you know, uh, abilities to connect at a more localized level. It's hard to do when, you know, when you're a 60 store chain and about to be a multi hundred store chain, localizing um, at that level is, is tricky Mm -hmm. and um, adds operational complexity and menu complexity and supply chain complexity that, uh, you know, most people don't envy, but it creates an intimate and very personal and authentic connection with a region. And it, it allows customers to feel like you're listening to them. Mm. And, uh, you know, whether it's branded merch or it's a cookie or it's a beverage, you know, we, we have a lot more in the pipeline to support local schools, uh, universities, um, you know, mascots. Uh, I think that, um, you know, 
there's a lot of opportunity when it comes to bringing um, localized products and and um, LTOs to to the lineup for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. So as you have alluded to, you guys have hundreds of locations in the pipeline. Um, you have chosen to franchise to expand this concept, which makes a lot of sense because it just seems, you know, tailor made sure. for the franchise model. Um, but, uh, you know, I guess I, to, to start off with, wh- why is franchising such a good fit for the Swig brand? Why was this the model you guys chose to go with? <clears throat> yeah, you know, I, I would first say that it's a blended model. It's a hybrid model. My expertise is is really in corporate growth and corporate scale. Um, you know, in, in my past life doing 50, 80, a hundred corporate stores a year. So franchising, um, is a way for us to go faster and speed to market is, is important to any, you know, emerging brand. Um, and I think for us, we, we have been asked for years. I mean, Nicole has been fielding and Andrew have been fielding requests to franchise for a decade. And really, um, similarly to how we approach the business in, you know, in multiple aspects of our businesses, we really wanted to be ready and we really wanted to be in the top decile of franchisors. Uh, so if we're going to do something, we wanted to do it right. And we have committed a lot of resources, a lot of time, a lot of development in the last couple of years to really set a strong foundation for Swig's franchise program so that we can be a franchisor of choice. Um, you know, our our uh, team is is very very committed to to leaning in and, and really um, supporting franchisees as as an equal. I, I, I talk to a lot of franchise partners across many different brands that have come to franchise Swig, and we hear uh, you know we hear different mixed emotions on on franchise partners. We hear headwinds. We hear um, we hear the good, bad, and the ugly. Let's just put it that way. And so our approach has always been from day one, and will continue to be: how can we best support, listen, be good partners, and ultimately win together with our franchisees. And by taking that approach, which is not a silent one, um, we've been able to really build partnerships with folks that instead of taking down one, two, or three units each, they're taking down 15, 20, 40 units each. And these are pretty sophisticated, well-capitalized, strong operating partners that are really excited about SWIG. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you know, it seemed to be the natural next step for the business. Uh, we, we've opened eight to 12 corporate stores every year, probably for the last decade or so. Uh, and last year we, we opened, um, uh, 12 stores. This year we'll open around 17 locations and next year we'll open 25 on the corporate side. So we're not slowing down on, on the corporate side of things. I think we, we see a white space opportunity a- across the country. We had, uh, when we publicly announced franchising um, to the wild or to the ecosystem, we had, we had 1,450 inbound requests wow. in the first 30 days. Um, and so we haven't spent a, a penny on marketing our franchise program. On the contrary, I, I'm, uh, I'm the one at the board meetings asking us to, you know, okay, we're stopping at 500. Uh, you know, so I think we will, we will have thousands in this system. Uh, we we want to do these in tranches to ensure everyone's success, everyone is a winner, and um, and to ensure that we're learning from each other and that we're really putting the best program to market we possibly can. Sure. Yeah, I mean, imagine, again, considering everything we've talked about with the model you guys have, I imagine, you know, this is minimal CapEx. It's, um, you know, the, the real estate might be a little bit more 
open than if you were putting big boxes into to communities. I imagine if you wanted to, you'd be able to move sure. very quickly, right? That with the, the 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 right, you know, capitalized franchise partner, they might be able to move very quickly. So, so <clears throat> do you have to like, you know, kind of balance that, I guess, with that to not let it get too out of control? <laughs> yeah, you know, um, we're a really unique balance of a team. I think I, I am a hair on fire fast. Um, you know, my, my partner, Andrew, he's also hair on fire fast. And I think we have a good balance in on the C-suite of, um, you know, very strategic, thoughtful um, levels of speed when it comes to our growth. Could Swig go and put 40 corporate units into the system next year, both from a capital and an operational sense? Yes, we could. Um, are we choosing to do 20 to 25? Yes. More so because we want to make sure that the 50 to 60 franchise locations that are turning on next year are 100%, 60 for 60, wildly successful. Yeah. And so we're, we are shifting our, our bandwidth and our, and our scope a little bit to ensure, um, that, that, that ramp, that initial ramp of 60, uh, on the franchise side, um, are our winners for, for both our franchisees and, and for the organization and the brand. Um, I, you know, I always look at it as my, my foot's always floored on the gas. Um, but I tap the brakes, you know, and I think that's really how I like to describe it to our franchise partners. Get your initial two to three open. I think that two to three mark in the first year is really critical. Again, for that hub and spoke model, you get economies of scale, you get operational efficiencies in the supply chain. Um, you get a halo sales effect a- across your entire market. And then uh, after you, you know, that first year is probably a little painful standing up your first three. Um, and then beyond that, you know, the cash on cash um, and and the economies that you get really lend to being able to move very, very quickly from, I would say, four to 10. Yeah. Um, and we've seen that play out time and time again. And, um, you know, our AUVs have continued to climb, you know, every single year since inception. Um, this year is, is honestly, we're, we're breaking all records that we ever thought we, we would have. And, um, you know, that's just lending to a more uh, profitable and efficient uh, model. So at the end of the day, I mean, I would love to see them all be like Rogers, Arkansas, you know, Rogers opened um, trending almost $2 million, you know, which is, for a, a 650 square foot soda concept um, out of Salt Lake, you know, ain't too shabby. And I, you know, that, that franchisee partner um, had less than a quarter of a million in CapEx committed to his location. Wow. So, uh, you know, that's, that's now that's a top decile right. example, but it happened to be our first franchise location that stood up. Uh, and it's, it's a great story to be able to share and, and tell, and we are rooting them on. I mean, because it's a win for, for the brand. It's right. a, it's a win for that community. And, um, you know, speed is, is, is important, you know, especially when you're a, a category that is, um, you know, we, we own this category. There's really nobody even remotely close to us. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, but you know, never say never. And there's a lot of people that would love to, to, to jump into this um, cookie jar and, and are at, at this time. And I think franchising makes a lot of sense to get um, get the word out about Swig. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I, I want to use, uh, you know, a fellow Utah brand as a, as a comparison. Of course, everybody's watching Crumble Cookies. Um, and, sure. and, and so kind of, you know, emphasizing this point of, of balancing speed, you know, when you essentially own the market, there is incredible franchise demand. 
Um, and you know, all that white space, as you mentioned, um, crumble cookies went from zero to a thousand locations in six years. Um, you guys are going with a, a much more, um, tempered, disciplined pace, which I, I totally understand. But, but, you know, another piece of this sort of momentum is, is not just like your physical expansion, but also sort of the, the building of the momentum from a brand perspective. And, and, and I, again, I kind of want to yeah. compare it to, to crumble where, they became such a um, cultural fascination that you know they've they've taken over sort of the 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 cookie debate, right? I mean, and much like you had this big New York Times feature, you Swig and the Dirty Soda had a big New York Times feature <laughs> talking about. And um, anyway, I guess the point I, to bring all this up is to say that you know um, you you do have to not only control and and balance the the momentum of building your physical footprint, but you also have to figure out a way to build that momentum of how much are people talking about us? Are people on the other, you know, in the East coast where they don't even have swig is, is the momentum building for something special. And I'm wondering how you guys play with that sentiment and how you really kind of sow the seeds mm -hmm. of, uh, of a movement that's really happening with swig so that you can <clears throat> capitalize on that in the future. Yeah. I mean, without a doubt, I mean, we are, um, we are very buzzworthy to use a, a, a term right now. And when we open up, it's still, uh, is, is pretty mind blowing to me when we will work the line, Nicole and I will work the line and we'll be in a, in more Oklahoma or we'll, we'll be in a tertiary market, fresh to market. And we'll have people that will come through our line, um, that have been waiting for years and have been following us on TikTok or Instagram for years, and um, no faces that are that are working. No, they know Nicole. They've they've seen you know PR about me, and and it, they act like family. Uh, so I think that there is this this you know halo, so to speak, um, specifically driven through social media and and a lot of the the press that that we were fortunate enough to get um, that has played into. Uh, the success of, of our, our physical locations, but also the, the success of, of Swig as a brand. Um, you know, I think we've really leaned in specifically in the last year or so that I've been here, we've really leaned into community, experience, authenticity, and not leaned out of products or, um, you know, great beverages, great cookies. I mean, we will always be in the top tier for that, but really shifted our focus to, um, creating this, this swig culture and this swig experience that is unlike and unmatched to any other brand in, in the system. And, um, being able to, you know, I, I travel a lot internationally and domestic and, you know, I go into States that I would not even possibly imagine they know, you know, swig and, and, and shame on me. I'm naive to think that, you know, not everybody in the world knows swig, but you know, um, I, I travel almost every single week. And, uh, I wear this vest quite a bit and other branded swig clothes. And I can't tell you, Sam, how many people have stopped me in airports in states that not only do we not have swigs, but are not on the horizon for swig in the near future. And, and that kind of leads, you know, back to, you know, your previous question. We are very disciplined. We say no a lot more than we say yes. Um, we could have turned on a thousand, fifteen hundred franchise units like that in the first six months. We chose to turn on 500 of the best. Um, I think Crumble is an exceptional brand. Um, I know that team over there, uh, fortunate enough to have learned quite a bit from them um, in their journey and, and really kind of be a, as an outsider looking in. 
um, how that journey uh, has has taken place. And um, I think we're we're different in in some respects. And um, where where Crumble I think has has been wildly successful is leaned into their community. They've leaned into tech in a in a pretty massive way. Um, and they have uh, also tri- stayed very authentic to to who they are and, and what makes Crumble special. Mm-hmm. You know, I know they're going through a, a little bit of a rebranding moment right now, and and um, I, I'm excited for them. I, I love their product, um, but you know, I it's not easy to say no, right. and um, it, it's it's one of those things where you know I don't know if you've read the book Essentialism, but I'm really big on that right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it is something that we all take very seriously, and we realize what we have is so special, and that we we are willing to invest the time and the patience for it to be as large as we want it to be over time. We don't need to be a thousand units tomorrow. Uh, And we don't really want to sacrifice the existing uh, foundation that's been built and cherished and honed for the last, you know, decade. Mm -hmm. Well, and Ryan, what are your, some of the, you know, these headwinds you've kind of touched on? What are, what are some of these headwinds that might also kind of keep you from getting to that place? But I mean, what do you guys deal with on a day-to-day basis from the headwinds perspective? Yeah, you know, I think I, mean, I would be I would be silly not to state the obvious. I mean, I think macroeconomic headwinds this year, specifically in the in the financial markets, have taken its toll on on every industry. Mm-hmm. If you say it hasn't touched your industry, I don't think you're being honest to yourself or <laughs> the public. Uh, you know, rates for capital uh, obviously higher, which which lead to development um, costing more. Uh, most franchisees and most small businesses, uh, small to mid-sized businesses, lean on debt to grow uh, their organization. We're fortunately, we, we don't really in a, in a very massive way. We're a pretty cash liquid organization. We're backed by um, you know a very robust family fund and, and a private equity group that um, has been just exceptional to work with for, for years. Um, but staying disciplined during those headwinds and and also, you know, I've been a part of businesses that have ramped very high, very quickly and experienced a lot of success in a very short period of time. And I think it's very important to remember um, when when success is all around you and um, cash flows are good and everything is everything is humming very nicely. That's when it's very easy to make mistakes, to become less disciplined and, um, you know, and, and get caught kind of with your pants down, so to speak. Right. Uh, I would also say, you know, in making the, you know, we j- just finalized the budget for 2024 and, and looking at our, our growth and our current trajectory. And we're, we are modestly optimistic about next year. Um, I think, you know, facing an election year, I think rates will come down a little bit. I'm not an Oracle, so I would be doing a lot of other things if I could tell the future. Um, but I think ultimately, you know, next year is, is looking bright. Uh, we, you know, we were very opportunistic this year when folks were slowing down, even some of the competitors that you mentioned a little earlier were pulling out of states like Texas, Oklahoma, Arizona, um, and we were pressing the gas. So where it was a little bit more expensive for us to develop this year, we were able to take property, um, be opportunistic on second gen restaurants and, and in-cap drive-throughs on new developments and ink deals for 2024, 2025 and 2026 um, that really pave a a path for strong, disciplined, uh, you know, profitable growth for the business. And um, I think that, you know, time will tell, but 
I'm, I'm hopeful and, you know, I'm very optimistic in general in life. Um, but you know, I've also, I've lived through the retail apocalypse of 2008 to 2010 and many more macroeconomic, um, nightmares that this, this country has faced. And, and, you know, SWIG is literally coming out of the best fiscal year, um, from a KPI, from a top line, from a profitability standpoint that we've ever had in 14. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm optimistic about 2024 and, you know, I'm so excited to not talk about COVID anymore. Yeah. And um, I, I think everybody in the food and beverage and the retail space uh, are, are putting COVID behind them. They've learned a lot from them. I think COVID forced a level of, of margin optimization for uh, businesses. And it, it made us, it forced us to be smarter. Yeah. And um, the strong have survived. And I, I'm excited to see Swig as well as, you know, other great brands that I follow um, continue their success next year. Absolutely. I'm excited to watch as well. Ryan McCartan, the CEO of Swig. Ryan, thanks for taking some time today. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Sam. That was my interview with Swig CEO, Ryan McCartan. So what should you learn from this interview? Here are my five takeaways. My first takeaway is that the first rule of expansion is to remember your roots. Uh, Swig is, of course, in growth mode, and they're really trying to stay um, true to what made this brand so popular in the first place. As Ryan talked about, he wants uh, Swig to really stay connected to its authenticity. Uh, You know, now if you ask me, sometimes authenticity is kind of an overused term, especially in restaurant marketing, but I really understand what he's getting at when he talks about Swig staying authentic and true to what it really has done now for 13 or 14 years. And that is make great beverage products served uh, with a highly personable touch out of drive through only locations. Uh, if you're growing your own brand into new markets, don't lose sight of what got you to be successful in the first place. What brought you here? Um, that's what Ryan's mandate is as CEO of Swig is, is to really stick to that because that's what made them successful. And that's going to be your challenge too as you grow. Stick to what makes you true to yourself. Uh, be real and, and true, and you will be able to um, you know, stay authentic and connect with new customers in new markets, just as you had in your original market with your original store. My second takeaway is that you can be highly technical and highly personable at the same time. Um, you know, Ryan talked about using lots of uh, technology in their drive-through only operations to be efficient, to keep those uh, drive-through lines humming. You know, especially when they open, they can have dozens of cars in their car stack through their drive-through. They have to keep that thing turning and they're turning to more and more technology as they do that. Uh, But Ryan talked about the fact that this is still, still a human operation. You know, he and other leaders still go to new restaurants and serve beverages out the drive-through window themselves. Uh, when they can, you know, they still want to emphasize the human connection because this is an emotional business at the end of the day. They don't want to get rid of that human to human connection. And so even as you balance technological innovation, remember, you still have to emphasize the human component. Uh, My third takeaway is that scarcity marketing can be a successful growth strategy. So what I mean by that is, you know, scarcity, of course, is you know, the, the swig in the new market, when it enters, it's the only place you can get those high quality beverage drinks. Um, and they want to continue to use that promise as they open the new markets. That this is the only place you can get this product. There's a scarcity to that product. They show the market that, you know, this is, um, you can't get this everywhere, only here. Um, and I think in a day and age where there's saturation of markets and, you know, when you look at growth, a lot of brands want to flood a market with lots of locations, maybe the Starbucks model, as Ryan mentioned, 
you know, there can be a benefit to that. But at the same time, if you have them locations really close to each other, you use that ability to promote scarcity of the product because suddenly that product is everywhere. As you grow, consider how you can, yes, open locations, multiple locations in new markets, um, but, you know, don't put them so close to each other that they cannibalize each other's sales. Try to emphasize to the neighborhoods surrounding, the community surrounding, this is the only place you can get this product. Um, and that will help to drive sales and, of course, help to give you uh, more and more of a reason to grow. Uh, my fourth takeaway is that beverage concepts will always find an audience, but they must be unique and relevant to the market. Um, as Ryan pointed out, people are always going to drink beverages, whether that's water, coffee, soda, whatever it is. People always have to drink something. Um, that's why Swig is able to grow. They're able to grow because soda especially is so popular and people will always drink soda. Um, but of course, you know, you look at other trends that have come and gone. He mentioned cupcakes and cookies are a trend, of course, right now. You know, some of these trends will uh, be kind of a roller coaster. They'll be really popular one day and they come down another day. Um, but the point is, is in the beverage space, you can't take for granted um, that people will always drink beverages um, because you have to make sure your product is distinct and relevant. So that's what Swig is working on. They're constantly innovating their product mix so that they can ensure that relevance, ensure that they're distinct. Um, but that's why they also see infinite runways, because at the end of the day, people will always drink beverages and they especially always drink soda. Um, so if you're in the beverage space or thinking about it, just know that it's relatively trend proof. But that doesn't mean that you can't innovate and can't work on those products to make sure they're distinct and relevant. My fifth and final takeaway is that by tapping into customers' emotional relationship to products, you build trust and show those customers that you're listening to them. Ryan used the example that as you know they grew into Texas, they discovered that people really wanted uh, sweet tea. Um, and they didn't serve tea, but they added it for those customers. And there's a good reason to do that. Uh, beverages especially and particularly when it comes to something like tea or soda um, customers often drink this every day this is an important thing for them and those preferences change of course region by region market by market um, and by offering those things that customers love you show that you're listening to them you know that this is what they want you show that you care about them you want to give them what they want and in that you build trust with those customers and in turn you can then build loyalty with those customers those are all my takeaways for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please remember to subscribe to Takeaway wherever you listen to podcasts and leave your feedback. You can also email me at sam.okis.informa.com. Thanks again and talk to you next week.